the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. George Brockler back with you here. It's hour two of four on the George Show 710 KNUS at 10 o'clock. Of course, we get replaced by Charlie Kirk and then the other big guys, Dennis Prager, Seb Gorka, Brandon Tatum. And uh, and then next week, of course, live and local, 6 to 10 a.m., just like always, bringing up on the VIP line right now. A friend of the show, guy we were going to have on yesterday, but we ended up uh, bumping him for a guy named Ted Harvey because he's running for Congress. Newly minted congressional candidate for the 4th District, Josh Sharf. Josh, tell me about the campaign. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Yeah. There's no chance, Josh. <laughs> There's no chance what? Josh is running. You say, what if there is? I, I was going to come in with a Groundhog Day joke, but you didn't even, yeah. Oh no, yeah, it is Groundhog Day, <laughs> but let's hear, let's hear the joke. Okay, well now, and now I just got it down. I mean, I don't know. Every day is, an, I, I got nothing for you with that. But you know, anyway, the uh, uh, no, it's it's. I am not running for the no. I am not running for the fourth CD. The third, maybe, but no. Not okay, <laughs> well, listen, you don't even have to live there. I don't even know if you've Apparently. ever lived there. You can jump right in. Apparently, yeah, it's. Uh, there are no rules about where you can. Well, I guess you have to be a resident of the state that you're in. But, but that's it. Want, well, not even maybe not even that. I mean, maybe you just have to have to have some some physical location in the state. But a lot of these guys go true? to DC and then they basically live in. Oh, that's DC. a great yeah, point. That's a great yeah. point. Uh, you, are you following that race at all? By the way, the ten or eleven candidates that are in there. Um, I had been. Now it's gotten. Now it's gotten out of hand. So I, I, I'll just. I'll wait for. The, I will trust the residents of of cd4 to sort this out for oh me. i get that but i want to ask what's your what's your perception of the race if you know some of the candidates in there like is there a chance that it's somebody not lauren oh yeah i mean you got people i mean lauren came in like last in the straw poll in one of these straw polls didn't she uh the I mean, one up at I, fort lupton she came in uh, right in the middle fifth okay yeah that's that's if if she were going to win she would have to be way out ahead there are just too many people that people know people know sonnenberg people know these other you know a lot of these other folks they don't they, they know her by reputation but they have no they have no personal experience with her you know with, with how with, with with her legislative work and i i just think that they're and 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 she's she's you know politics at this level at at running for Congress, especially in a crowded field is a lot about relationships it's a lot about uh you know things networks that you built up over time and and she doesn't have any of that in that district it, it also though comes down to things like oh name id cash on hand to be able to flood the digital media world and and mailboxes and maybe even air, airwaves and she's got that 1.3 to 1.5 million dollar war chest she drug over from the third and my guess is her name id is four out of five of CD4 residents have heard her name, and I don't know about favorability, but I agree with you that it would, in under normal circumstances, that'd be a big deal. But if you get three, four, five people on that ballot, you only need a plurality, man. Yeah, but I, I still think she's got an uphill uphill battle there. Um, and and you know, I was I've never I've never 
uh, at least for the first, you know, first couple of years, um, I was somebody who kind of defended her uh, for the most part. But I, I just think I think what people know about her is not good for the most part. Yeah, Lauren's people, always people, been good to us. She's she's always been good to me. She has oh, made some she's made some decisions mean, that make her vulnerable. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. No, that's that's that, and that, that's really all I mean in terms of her. I, I, I'm not I'm not saying she's a bad person. Uh, I'm not saying she's, you know, and I, I want to be very careful about that. I, I don't want to, I want to make sort of. I'm saying what people know in terms of what what people know about her in terms of her congressional service is not necessarily is not necessarily uh, going to be helpful. Yeah. Hey, hey, can we talk a little international stuff? Um, some Israel stuff. Now, yeah, are we sure. allowed to talk about this thing that you're going to do or not? Yeah. No. No. We can. We can. We can talk about that. Well, let's talk about um, it. I am uh, I'm planning to uh, go over to Israel for the next couple of weeks and volunteer. Uh, and I'm not joining the IDF. Uh, that's I'm what I was going to ask. You picking up a rifle, standing a post? Going? No, nothing, nothing like that. Um, but because what's what's happened is that there's a huge need for this um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'll, they called up essentially all of the reserves. Now they've they've dialed that back a little bit yeah but most of the reserves are still uh you know are still either in gaza or on the north or or dealing with stuff in the west bank occasionally too and so uh, they're really they're people who would be at home who would be working uh are are not there and so the economy's taking a bit of a hit number two for obvious reasons uh there aren't a whole there aren't a whole lot of Arab workers coming across the Green Line to do the kind of work that they had done before, coming out of the West Bank, or, and certainly not out of Gaza. And so there's a huge need for agricultural workers, uh, for people to go and, and, and just bring crops in. So there's yeah, a lot of right. that. Uh, do you have some also, skills you're bringing to that? I mean, is this from your cultivation of weed in the basement of your place in college kind of a thing? Like, what are you doing? Um, no, I don't. <laughs> no, they're going to have to teach me how to pick, uh, uh, you know, uh, whatever potatoes or whatever it is we're going to be doing. But there's uh, so you can go on date. There are a number of groups that are organizing day trips to farms that need it, and so you can do that as well. There's um, uh, you can visit uh, you can visit soldiers in the hospital. They you know yeah. that's a, that's a big deal, right? I mean, a guy's sitting in you know he's he's recovering from a from a war injury and, and, and he's sitting in the hospital and uh, that can be, that can be a long-term thing that he's there and, 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 and it can be kind of lonely. So it's always nice to, to feel appreciated that way. There's stuff that you can do for there. Remember in the North uh, in the South too, but, but, but in the North, there are a lot of displaced families because of Hezbollah to, to targets, uh, you know, target civilian areas too. And so um, there are you know things you can do to help out with the kids in, in the hotel, you know, activities and so forth for, for them as well. There's a, a ton of stuff that needs to be done, packing stuff for the troops, packing sandwiches, for that matter, for the troops, um, going in and packing, uh, packing food for, like I say, for displaced families, a ton of stuff that needs to be done. And to be able to go over there and, and, and contribute to that uh, is, is, uh, is really I think it's it'll be meaningful for me, but I think it's also what part of the country are you going to be in. Did they the, tell you? I mean, are you going to be down in Gaza City or something, or where are you going? Gosh, yeah, I'm going to yeah, I'm going to be building the new synagogue in, uh, in Gaza. <laughs> no, there's a um, uh, no. I'm actually going to be st- staying with someone that you know, uh, Neil Dubrow. Oh yeah, uh, yeah Neil's great. Yeah, Neil extended an invitation yeah. to Billy and I. 
when we were going to, yeah. well, I was going to actually go out there. And then turns out uh, DOD at the time was like, you know, maybe if you're a DOD person, we're just going to sit back for a little bit here and figure this out. That's probably wise. Yeah. Um, but I, I have no such encumbrances. So I'll be going over there and then I'll be do, doing these sort of day excursions uh, out from uh, where, where he lives, which is just south of Jerusalem. That's really cool, man. Neil, Neil's a solid dude. Um, in terms of what's going on over there in Israel, we know that the IDF is still operating in the northern part of the Gaza Strip. I think so far they have claimed 10,000 Hamas fighters or bad guys. I don't know if they're all Hamas fighters that they have taken down. That's a ton, by the way. Any idea how long this continues on or what the plan is that the cries for ceasefire continue from all sorts of people who think that you can negotiate with baby beheading rapists um, for some sort of a peace or something like that. What's going on? Well, I would, I mean, I think you're giving the people who are crying for a ceasefire the benefit of the doubt. Um, I think, I think frankly, they just don't want Israel to win. And so I, I, I take a much dimmer view of people who, who, uh, who, who are calling for a ceasefire. But these are, said, these are uh, the, uh, from the river to the sea people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are the people who just don't. And and unfortunately, we we in the U.S. Uh, have gotten into this habit of not winning. And we've talked about this before. We've yeah. gotten in the habit of not winning wars, and not understanding the concept of, of of truly defeating an enemy. And Israel doesn't really have that option. Yeah. They have to they have to truly defeat Hamas. And so you start to see a little bit more of of the. Uh, resentment in the West Bank, or I'm sorry, in the West Bank, in Gaza, against Hamas for having yeah. brought this on them, and that's an important aspect of what victory will look like. I think we also need to be careful a little bit about the the numbers. Not that they're wrong, but that they're not necessarily a useful metric. Uh, we we got into that trap, if you remember, the U.S. got into that trap in Vietnam uh, when and and. When, the Pentagon would announce, you know, sort of yeah, daily, you know, daily totals. Daily, you're right. You're absolutely right. Totals, and and it and it sounded, you know, it sounded really good, uh, and and the problem is that it didn't uh, because there was outside help. It didn't necessarily degrade. It wasn't until after Tet, uh, and 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 the U.S. got got very serious about defeating the VC that they went away. And then after that, the, the fighting was there, there's no regular army to to sort of replace Hamas in the in Gaza. So so. It's, you know, it's got to be defeated. It's got, the one thing that you do see that's really important is, and Israel's talked about this, uh, is that operationally um, Hamas is no longer operating as a unified force. So there's still individual units oh, nice. that can operate, but there's no central, there, there's no central command and control really in a, in, in a real sense. Um, and and that, enough of the leadership has been taken, not the top-level leadership, but the operational leadership, uh, sort of mid-level and lower-level commanders who understand the neighborhoods, who understand how to operate. So th- their individual units still have cohesion, but not um, not large-scale operations. And that's really important because it means you can isolate and take out uh, t- take out these units as as you go along. Um, can I ask your opinion, by the way, because those units are probably still being resourced at some level by Iran or someone who is, you know, one of these militia forces that Iran is supporting us. I, I wanted to ask you before we got off of the Israel topic, too. You know, we had three soldiers die in northern Jordan up there by the Syrian border. 
and the calls for Biden to take action. And he has I don't know what action he's taken so far, but he's done that very Obama you know what I mean? Chemical weapons in Syria thing like I will draw this line in the sand. Do not cross this line. And if you do, I will draw another line in the sand, that kind of thing. Uh, and then there will be so many lines. You will hate it because you want smooth sand. But there'll be lines in this sand, you know, stuff like that. What has happened and what should happen as a result of this? Keeping in mind, and I think folks need to know this. Those are deaths, three deaths of Americans, and there were a bunch of injuries. But it was like the 150th drone attack, right? Like this wasn't a, a, an anomaly. This has been going on forever. Well, and what's also been, been lost in this, before I, before I go into that, you know, we also lost two sailors in the Red Sea uh, in, in, a, in what hmm. amounted to a naval battle with a battery, a shore battery with, um, of the Houthis. And there was a ship that uh, that they were trying to to deal with, and and uh, uh, we lost a couple of a couple of seals there too. That that has oh, not right. been widely right. reported. So you know this is not um, this is not a uh, uh, the, these are not the first combat in effect combat deaths that the U.S. has seen. I think um, Biden has got listen. I think his inclination. I think the inclination of the administration is to find a way to abandon Syria and and Iraq. I don't think they've they've done a terrible job of explaining why we're still there, uh, and 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 as you know, one of the hardest things to do though is to reduce posture, you know, is to pull back from an area to to reduce your footprint. That's a very difficult thing for the for for the Pentagon to do, and so and 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 there are reasons that we're there. I mean, we're we're interdicting Iranian stuff, we're making operations uh, for Iran more difficult, you know, outside of their borders. What we should do. Is and and this is going to sound a bit, um, perhaps a bit radical, but what we should do is target something in Iran of serious significance, of serious military significance, and end it. Go in and 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 we don't go in on the ground. I mean, we have we have air superiority. So this is all just uh, aircraft. aircraft and missiles and such. Aircrafts and missiles, yeah, just to go, something of serious significance to Iran, and inside the country and take it out. And then listen, you know, you guys, you, you, because that's the head of the beast. Is that what I they mean, want, we, we, though? Is that the way to broaden the war no, and suck us into no, it? No, that's not what Iran wants. What Iran wants is for us to leave. And so what they're doing is they're doing everything possible to to make it painful for us to operate around the periphery mm, because they know that we're not going to go into Iran. To, and again, I don't, nobody's talking about ground troops, but they know that we're not going to attack anything inside Iran. So, you know, we, we can't destroy Hezbollah that way. We can't destroy Hamas. We can't destroy the Houthis that way. What we can do is is force Iran to pull back by attacking them. And we won't but we won't do that. We won't do that. I don't know so, why we won't. I like it. What do you think there's a risk there of if we do that of making it tougher on other countries like Saudi Arabia to sit on the sidelines and sort of say things but not do things? Yeah, I mean, I know we're we're sort of trying to reconstitute the the relationship with Saudi at this point. Um, I, I, you know, Saudi is not in a position to conduct offensive operations. Let's put it that way. I mean, they're they're just they don't have they're they're primarily on the defensive in these things. They may be a base of operations like they were in the Gulf War, but they're not uh, in the first Gulf War. But they're not um, uh, they're not going to be. Uh, they're not going to be conducting a lot of offensive operations on their own. I mean, I think the the 
the, the concern here is that what, what Iran wants to do is to drive the U.S. out of the region under fire, sort of a large scale what we saw in Afghanistan. If it doesn't, if it doesn't involve the same number of, um, of, of, of losses of troops, um, that's not the point. The point is to, to, to get us to abandon the region. We're talking with Josh Sharp from the Independence Institute, uh, soon to be farmer in Israel or something. He doesn't know, sandwich maker. He, he's going there to help out the cause. Hey, can we shift gears a little bit to that other conflict that we're sort of helping with in, in Ukraine? What's the update? Any end in sight there? No. I mean, oh, right damn. now it's sort of the winter. Where's no, the good news, no Josh? Good Lord. <laughs> now, actually, you've come to the wrong address for that. There's a... Uh, um, no, I mean, there's uh, no, there's no, I mean, it's not that there's no, that there's no good news. It's just, there's just not a whole lot of news there. People are sort of gearing up for what will happen in the, in the, in the spring. Uh, I don't think, you know, that Russia is kind of gathering its forces, trying to try, you know, replacing its people. I don't know that it's, it's going to conduct a whole lot of breakthrough offensive operations right now. One of the things that it's doing is working with, <laughs> to, to go back to that, working with Iran, uh, to get uh, more drones and more offensive missiles that it can use uh, to, to, to strike to strike inside Ukraine. Um, Ukraine is uh, uh, hoping for U.S. money of some sort. Now there's talk of confiscate, trying to find a way to confiscate Russian assets in the Western banking system that we could then turn turn that over to Ukraine. Um, I'm iffy about confiscating private assets i don't know that it would be the worst thing in the world to confiscate russian government assets hmm. but interesting uh, but i i think uh but that that's that's being floated as a way to get around congress's not being willing to you know not being able to pass a uh, an aid package. Well, that's a, that's another question I was going to ask you: is how important is it to whatever's going on in Ukraine right now that this immigration Ukraine thing uh, go through? And it's not no, it's by very the important. Way, but <laughs> it's very important to Ukraine that that happen because we're the we're the lead financiers of this, and we're and and other countries will be less likely to pitch in money if we don't. Uh, and and that's not an argument, by the way, to surrender on the border. I think that there's there aside from wanting an issue, which I don't think is the major driver here. I know McConnell sort of wanted to blame Trump and say, well, you know, we had this deal, and then Trump said he didn't want to hand them a victory. He wanted the issue more than the more than the deal. I, I, I think, to, and I'm not a Mitch McConnell hater, but I think he's looking. I, I think he's looking to shift blame on this one. Because it really what what came what is being floated out of the Senate is not really a very good deal. Why? Why isn't it a good deal? Talk about that. Well, because if Biden's not going to enforce the laws that we have, giving him you know, telling him, okay, this time we really mean it. We really want you to enforce the law, and here's what we're willing, willing to give you in order to do that. I mean, there's no reason to believe he'll he'll be any more aggressive uh, allowing five thousand in a day than he would be allowing. 1, I agree with that, day. but I thought that, and maybe this is my misunderstanding of the laws as they are, which happens every day. But my thought was this particular change updated the asylum law such that, like right now, 
you know, folks show up all the time and just simply say, hey, I'm scared to go back to my country because of fill in the blank. And somehow that golden language, that magical language gets them not only across the border, but gets in that CPB or CFB, whatever it is, one thing that they can come back in four or five years to have their asylum claim adjudicated. And this would do that differently. This would limit the number right now. I think it's limitless, but they would limit that number. And then after 5,000, which is an incredible number, like they could definitely reduce that number. But then they could just simply shut down the border to Lottie Dottie everybody and push back in that way. Am I am I misreading that? They could. But right now, the law is that people coming across who are not claiming asylum have to be detained. That's the law. They have to be detained. And the administration is not doing that. Are they're we? Not, do, is that the parole thing or is the parole thing yeah. with the asylum seekers? Yeah. No, that's that's the parole thing. It's not it's not just with the yeah. asylum seekers. Yeah, we were talking I mean, you about had this guy who who like attacked two New York City cops. Right, I saw he's those thugs. Yeah, I mean he's been released, you know, with no bail. I mean, you know, the the the, 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 the there's no um, there's no seriousness about this. Well, in, in, about in, defending the border, I don't so want I don't anyone to hear me. Anymore, and, and, and and I don't I don't think there would be any more seriousness under this deal than under the other one. And 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 to just sort of tie back it into to tie back into Ukraine for just for a moment, and, and, and that that it's it's easy for the Democrats to say, well, you know, the Republicans care more about the border than the more about beating up on 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 uh, on, ref, on 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 asylum seekers from South America than they do about defending Ukraine, which is our nation, and so forth. And 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 again, you know, I'm I'm you know me. I mean, I I, I back. Our, our support of Ukraine against Russia. Right. Um, but, it, but it goes the other way, too. You know, if Ukraine's so important and the border is not so important, then why, why aren't you willing to give on that in order to get what you want? So it works both ways. Yeah. The, very, very interesting. I don't think that thing's going to go anywhere. I mean, Johnson over in the House has said, I don't even know what's in the bill. I don't care. It's not going to survive over here. And now what's his name? The guy from Tennessee that they signed up to head the negotiation, super conservative guy. Now he's getting vilified for even participating in the conversations. I don't think that thing's going to go anywhere. I don't know what political issue that becomes moving forward. But I do think the border, and I was going to ask you this, Josh, in in my opinion, the border and the immigration crisis, now that Greg Abbott has done us the favor of shipping all these people to cities that, you know, claim themselves to be sanctuary cities that dealt with one or two people every year, um, that that is going to become the biggest issue in the campaign. Is something else going to dwarf that, do you think? Well, I think they'll try. I mean, I think that the Trump's ongoing legal issues are just going to be in the paper forever, and that's going to be that's going to oh, be Trump's drumbeat. But I think what the administration's got a real problem, though. So first of all, all credit to Abbott. Uh, between he and what DeSantis did in terms of shipping these two to areas that, like you say, never really had to deal with the problem, that changed, that fundamentally changed the conversation about immigration. And now saying hey, well, we, that they're going to put up this, this concertina wire, they're going to put up this razor wire, and they're going to defend them, they're going to build, they're going to build a wall if they have to. And they'll, they will put, and now it won't, and it won't necessarily look like, you know, but they're going to, they're going to increase the, 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 the physical structure on the border as well, and in effect, daring the federal government, which which currently, because of the court order, could go in and tear that down. But there's nothing in the order that keeps Texas from building more. And so, uh, uh, the administration's got a real got a real political problem. They can't appear. I mean, <laughs> they can't appear to be going in and physically opening the border. 
um, to allow people to flood in. Yeah, I agree. And 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 they've also got a they've also got a coalition issue because this this puts especially the strain on the cities, and you've seen this in a couple of places. This puts uh, sort of core constituencies in their coalition. It pits them against each other. And so there's a real they, – they've got a real – the administration has a real problem here politically about what to do. Uh, my guess is that they will probably try to selectively prosecute people for participating in, uh, in putting, up this, uh, putting up these barriers. Oh, and, how high, and how high up they're willing to go – uh, but the barriers themselves are not illegal, right? Like all that the Supreme Court said was feds can come in and chop them up. But there was no ruling by the Supreme Court that they that the state couldn't put them up, right? That's right. And there's also and it wasn't really a hearing on the merits. Um, That's true, too. It was, it, it was more it was more of a procedural hearing. Now, you know, you can argue that, well, you know, this. This was a ruling that God that why why would they want to go back and and overturn precedent that stretches all the way back to the Obama administration? I mean, right? I mean, this is a relatively recent ruling that that, that creates the, that creates this this problem in the first place. Yeah. And so, uh, but the court tends to be very deliberate, and and it probably wants to hear a full before any sort of ruling on the merit. It wants to it wants to hear a full you know a full airing of that case. So what they basically did was said, well, you know, the Fifth Circuit kind of overstretched here, and we're gonna, we're gonna let, we're, we will let the administration tear this stuff down. But you're right, there is nothing in the ruling that keeps Texas from turning right around and putting it back up. But the optics of the federal, I mean, they, they I mean, in terms of the Texas National Guard, the administration's options are very limited. They could nationalize the guard and then ask, and then order those same people to tear down what they put up, and we'll see how that goes. And then they could, but they they could take it and they could ship the guard overseas. They could tell them all to go home. I mean, the the options there are kind of heavy-handed, which is why I think they will try to get something that operates a little bit a little bit less visually uh, in order to get them to stop doing it. Because if you're if you're going to go to jail for putting up razor wire, then maybe you think twice about that. So maybe, but it's Texas. I mean, you know, I just don't, I don't see that. I don't see that being a deterrent. The Texans down there, the you know, they still want to be their own country at some point, you know. Well, they, they uh, I mean, they, they sort of have that that vision in their heads. But but the other thing is, there's some other states that have also sent down guard troops as well. So how 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 widely do you want? And and the response by the, uh, in effect, the Republican governors, uh, to uh, to to this was pretty unified. Uh, and so I think, and and they'll also be looking at legal options as well. Uh, so, you know, there's there's a uh, uh, this is not this is not a simple problem for the administration. By the way, the five thousand number, you know, that sounds yeah, yeah. like a lot. It is. Yeah, it there is a were, lot. Yeah, it know, turns out the the administration. This is under Obama, where where somebody's where where the the was either the DHS guy or one of them said a thousand people a day coming across constitutes a constitutes a, a, a real a real crisis. You know, about five times that number. So this is a real this is a, a this is a real problem for the administration. Josh Sharf, I could talk to you all morning and yet I'm not allowed to talk to you all morning. It's just baked right into the FCC rules and regs. Uh, we're gonna have to have you back in the future. Buddy, uh, thank you for the time. You've always been good to us. Stay in touch, would you? Thank you. I will. And uh and, and uh thank you very much, George. I appreciate it. 
Always, man. Talk to you soon. Hey, that's Josh Scharf from the Independence Institute. You can check out his ramblings and writings right there on the ii.org website. Uh, let's do this. Let's cut away for a break. I can see him right now. He's dressed in a monkey suit, which tells me that lawsuit is finally going to court. And I hope he can defend himself well with huge, huge breaking news coming up after this break. A guy whose name rhymes with Hefjunt right here in the studio. It's George Brockler, 710 KNUS. George Brocker back with you here, 710 KNUS. My thanks to Josh Sharp from the Independence Institute. I don't know how that guy has time to do anything else like feed himself or keep up with personal hygiene because it seems like he knows something about everything. Uh, and frankly, I hope that he's able to call into the station and do his stuff uh, while he's in Israel making sandwiches or growing weed for the troops or whatever the hell it is he's going to do out there <laughs> in Israel for the cause. In studio right now, special guest, no stranger to 710 listeners, has a big, huge announcement um, and an ankle monitor. And I'd like to talk about both of those things in the studio with us right now. Uh, Jeff Hunt. Jeff, how are you, man? Hey, George. Great to be with you, brother. You are looking like a million bucks. You've got the suit on, clean suit, shirt, and tie. Well, you know, every once in a while you see people wandering around Denver in suits, and you're like, that hasn't seen uh, a laundromat in years. You know what I mean? That that hasn't seen it. Yours looks very good. Um, So big breaking news. I don't want to steal anything from you. I feel like you want to make an announcement, and that is about you and Billy. Yeah, yeah. Bill and I are taking our relationship to another level, literally. So uh, we'll let the media. We'll just let that simmer, and then yeah. let the media. I want to uh, wait for tweet the nine about news that. posts. Right, right. <laughs> Bill, well, the the truth is, Bill and I are taking our relationship to another level because Monday, starting this next Monday from six to ten a.m., will be the Jeff and Bill show on seven ten KNUS. Wait, that's when I'm on. <laughs> right. Why don't George? We 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 have something we need to talk to you about. I feel like this is a a Jerry Maguire moment, right? right? Where it's like you did this here, so I wouldn't cause a big scene. Well, if I had Stephen Tubbs' BS button, I would be pressing that a lot right now—the curse button. Uh, Jeff and and what's the name of the show? Something really catchy, like "Wake Up." The Jeff and Bill show, yeah. The the real there's a lot of creativity that went behind that the name of that the, title. The Jeff and Bill show. Did you guys sweat over whether or not to capitalize both names or go sort of E. E. Cummings lowercase I was across the emojis? <laughs> well, and then, <laughs> that one's not chocolate. Yeah, that's not an eggplant. Yeah. Hunt and Thorpe sounded more like a law firm or, and, or someone that makes really nice sheets for your bed. You know what I mean? Like try the new Hunt and Thorpe sheets, thousand count. Th- red you know what i mean they don't need to be washed much you know that kind of thing right right no it's uh it's exciting and that means that you're going to be not on the air uh, off yeah, doing I've something been, else I've and been... this was this was a personal choice of yours this was not no no uh, yeah, yeah this was I... not a movement of the station by any means no no by personal choice people should read between the lines and see fcc in there but there uh i am definitely <laughs> not going to be back in the saddle here starting Monday. Exciting times, by the way, for 710 listeners as you guys take over the show. And this is something that I experienced when I ended up replaces too strong because I can't replace Pete. But yeah. when Pete made the decision to go and I have filled in, you can't just do the same damn show. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I can't be Pete Boyles. Yes. And um, 
good news for you and your family <laughs> is you can't be me. And that's really exciting stuff. Tell us what you guys have in store. If you if you can reveal already, I don't want to like you know give away any state secrets here, but. Yeah, there, so the format will be changing just a little bit. We'll be bringing in some additional folks. So uh, we'll have live news reads, and Bill and I are basically going to kind of co-host the show together. So uh, you'll still get to have all of Bill's uh, radical leftism brought on a, on a daily basis. And Mixed then, in uh, with mostly, soccer and snakes. Right, right. Don't lose the soccer and snakes part. I didn't know that. Oh, buddy. I walked in today, and he's like, look at all my snakes. Yeah. No, and I didn't on, know what I was on. getting into. Tell me he was showing you a phone. Yeah, it was okay because right. I don't. My my God, <laughs> I don't think the folks at CCU can appreciate Billy and his snake. You know, <laughs> but he's a big snake fan. Yeah. So. <laughs> well. <laughs> oh sweet goodness! So yeah, Bill. So Jeff and Bill. Is it Jeff and Bill or Jeff and Billy? It's the Jeff. Bill. So you've yeah, gone Jeff with the show. shorter, little more sophisticated. Why not William or Willie T or something like that? A little more morning showish. It sounds more like I'm running for president. Bill? Yeah. Jeff and Bill. Also, I haven't been William in ever. Ever? <laughs> not even at Mullen? No one ever, like, called William no. Thorpe? No, I did have early on, there was, a, uh, there was a nickname early on in radio, but it was Young William for a number of reasons because I was the youngest one in the entire staff. And Young William sounds like you're sort of an English prince in waiting or something well, like that. That's like, the thing that they did is the guy that would do it goes, and... Young William, that that was the joke. So that's, yeah, that well, uh, yeah, that was, that was I don't think Jeff and Young William works. That seems awkward. That seems yeah, like a weird. website. That, I don't think we want that at all. No, no. Uh, Jeff, let's do this because folks know you from being on the radio. They yep. know you from being the tip of the spear for the Centennial Institute for the Western Conservative Summit, which has been going great gangbusters forever. Uh, let's get a little bit of background for you. If you were going to introduce yourself to the listeners. Um, all 10 of them at this point, uh, <laughs> <Right>. now, that, <laughs> now that is- as you grow this from 10 to 20. And by the way, that'll be magical. Uh, t- tell folks about your background. I am the only person in America, I genuinely believe <gasps> this, that worked for Mitt Romney and spoke at a Bikers for Trump rally and was introduced at the Bikers for Trump rally as having worked for Mitt Romney. And I was very lucky to get out of there. Were you booed at all? Did chains come out? <laughs> yeah, no, switch, they did. Switch, switch I turned to the announcer and I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> they, they passed you around you like that. a uh, beach ball at a graduation <laughs> right, or something. Right. Ew, do, do, do. Uh, so I grew up here in Colorado, a class of 2000, Cherry Creek High School. So, I've never heard of that one. Where's yeah. that? Yeah, right. Is that a big one? <laughs> little school. A little down school. The street there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's a community college, <laughs> right. really, of sorts. So you graduate, class of 2000. Yep. I'm just doing the math in my head. 42. Screw you for your age. Yeah, I'm just saying screw you for your age. Billy, that, Billy wants to jump. We're not that different. I'm 43, but uh, <laughs> the hard way. I mean, it's this radio thing will take it out of you, man. When I started this job, I looked like a young Ricky Schroeder. And now I look like Anderson Cooper's older sick brother. You do. There's a little Anderson Cooper side <laughs> oh, to you. I get, it that, all that's right. I get it all the time. By the way, I, I do have a list of things that you may be doing, and and, and we'll, we can cover this in a second, but if you want to guess as to what George is going to be, yeah, doing, please next. text in. Yeah, please text in. Text in on the app. Hell, at some point here in the 8 o'clock hour, because you're going to stick around with us. That's right. Um, we're probably going to take calls man 303 here's what i and we're doing this on the fly folks this is not pre-planned one i'm going to ask billy to get dressed again but uh two <laughs> just because the camera might be on him but two maybe in that next hour we switch seats 
you there take you the helm, you've got the steering wheel, and then you rock the phones. It's like you've you've done this before, but and now it's in the in the role of uh, of Jeff Hunt from the Jeff and Bill Show. The Jeff and Bill Show. We can do that. It, can I ask before we get into your background some more? Because I do have some very very interesting questions that could lead to criminal liability. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> does Bill have the ability in the Jeff and Bill Show to just simply cut you off on the mic? I always I, have that ability. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he <laughs> always does. He runs the board. Yeah. So he ultimately I mean, I have the power, has the but I have the ability. I would, yeah, he puts the bill in ability. I would love it if you guys could be in the studio together. But for folks that don't get on the YouTubes or uh, or the Rumble, what you can't tell is where Billy sits, he is like the uh, Chekhov meets Sulu managing the Starship Enterprise, right? Like mm-hmm. this guy has so many buttons to press and all this <laughs> other stuff. And when things go wrong... I think it's important that we blame people that aren't here. It's Geronimo and James that are to blame for this, but really Billy has the ability to fix all things. So Billy's going to sit back there behind the glass. You're going to sit in this seat. Yep. If I'm you, I negotiate for a new chair because I, <laughs> I took over this one from Pete. <laughs> Stefan was in it. And, you know, there's now some that, stuff that's may have taken Well, place. <laughs> there's some things that Lysol hasn't figured out a way to kill you. <laughs> kill. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just, we thought about going with fire, but uh, Mark Crowley said no. We, we might can't. just have to start over. <laughs> just start over with a new chair. But tell, so you graduated from Cherry yep. Creek in 2000 after your fifth senior year. And, and, I, right, and then I was off to uh, become a pastor. So very happy to do that. Went off to California, got a, oh. my degree in religious studies, and then a master's of divinity. And I was actually working at Bel Air Presbyterian Church. Hold on. Where did you go do that? And the decision to pursue faith in California, was it right. like Yeah, no. <laughs> Explain so that. I, I, we went to I, – I grew up going to Cherry Hills Community Church. Oh, yeah. And, big one. And uh, Jim Dixon was the pastor. Oh, yeah. And I literally have the exact same education he did. So I, that was wow. the path I was going. I think I was going to kind of lead a church, yeah. that type of thing. Yeah. And then I went to a very liberal seminary. And I really didn't have much of a political bone in my body at all. It didn't really, really? engage in Really? Not politics. at all in high school? Nothing. Did you know in high school you were going to do the, the missionary? Yeah, the, 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 the pastor the, stuff. The pastor yeah, stuff, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I grew up next to, door to a guy named Jim Nicholson. And so there's a little bit of politics there. My parents bought the back lot from him. Oh, And wow. so he was our next-door neighbor. Yeah. And used to ride horses with him, that type of oh, thing. That's so cool. a little bit of crossover, but really nothing until I had a liberal professor in grad school, in seminary. That I was like, you are wrong about everything. And if you're going to debate your professor, you got to start studying stuff. So I started listening to John and Ken out in California, yeah. two, two great conservative radio hosts, and then started reading books by a guy named Hugh Hewitt. And so Wait a that was Hugh the Hewitt, journey. where is he? Is he in California? Uh, not, not, I don't think so right now. I think he's out in D.C. I've now. never heard of Hugh. <laughs> never heard is he of a big guy <laughs> on the radio or something guy. like that? Yeah. And so he was part of that journey, and then I was young and single. I was like, man, I'm going to head to D.C. and just see if I like this stuff. So And? And work for Rick Santorum in the Senate. I've heard of Rick Santorum. Would have, could have been president one day. Won 11 states in 2012. I was part of that team. Dang. That was fun. So far, that's 11 more states than Nikki Haley. I was going to say, than anybody else. That was a little bit more competitive. Yeah. And uh, so worked for Rick in the Senate, worked in his world for a while. And we were really motivated by a guy named William Wilberforce. Have you ever seen the movie Amazing Grace? Mm-hmm. He was the guy that ended the slave trade in England. Wow. So a man of faith, yeah. using his yep, values, yep. driving an agenda in the public square. That was He's still to this day kind of my patron saint, William Wilberforce is. So it was around Rick's world for many years in D.C. 
worked on his presidential campaign. And then when he withdrew, we moved back to Colorado to raise our kids here because they just work you to death in D.C. If you want to coach your kids, it's just Clearly not the you right got married in between yeah. you being the single guy going to D.C. and all that. Did you meet your wife out there back here? We met in college and oh, then yeah. reconnected in D.C. Oh. So she worked in the White House. She was a White House intern. Wow. She worked on Capitol Hill. She was an intern for Ed Meese at the Heritage Foundation. I heard of Ed, yeah. And then she's an attorney. So uh, Why did you go did, down that road, man? I, That's <laughs> I, I sat down to take the LSAT and was like, my brain doesn't work this way. I literally got up and walked out. And yeah. But she's a lot smarter than me. So she works for Focus on the Family these days. Oh, that's fantastic. She's a pro-life analyst and spokesperson. So any type of ballot initiative or judicial decision that comes down with regards to sanctity of life issues, she pops up on the radio and television and explains to people what's happening. Does she do stuff? You you know, we're going to have this. I can't tell if it's just going to be like a petition effort onto the ballot or if the legislature will jump in. But we're going to try to enshrine in our Constitution the ability to kill a child up through, I think, age five or something like that. And then, well, they've they've done that statutorily, and they could do it constitutionally, but the end game there is they want you to pay for it. So the goal is if you can constitutionalize it, then we can— If it's a right. Then we can get the government to pay for it. And so. I think that we're going to apply that then to firearms as well. If you have the right to a firearm, <laughs> the government should also pay for your firearms. I think that's, that's how that right. works. So did your wife get involved in those issues as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And provides an- analysis and writes a lot for Focus on the Family and does a whole bunch of interviews in those types So of did you know when you were working for Rick Santorum, maybe I'm not going to go down the uh, pastor road yeah, anymore? Yeah. At that point, it was very cool to see people of strong faith and conviction working to drive Christian conservative values in law. And that was ultimately where I think God created me, and that's what we've been doing ever since. How did you get hooked up with uh, CCU and the Centennial Institute that you run the show and all that other stuff? So when we came back, worked for Mitt Romney in the 2012 election as his coalition director in the state of Colorado. So we moved back, and I got to meet everybody, including... John Andrews, who was the founder of the Independence Institute, solid conservative founder of the Centennial Institute, has started think tanks all over, was the first editor of Imprimus. Like this guy was, you know, legendary. So got to meet him there. And then we helped market after the Romney campaign. I ran an ad agency where we basically ran all the advertising for all the Republicans in the state of Colorado. And the Centennial Institute was one of our clients. So we did advertisements for the Western Conservative Summit and all their marketing for years. And when that job opened up, I just pinged John. I said, John, I'd love to run this, carry on your legacy, and work for Bill Armstrong, who was then the president of CCU. You know, uh, you'll figure this out, that it's easy to just have the conversations and ignore the clock, because that's exactly what we've done here. <laughs> Billy's giving me the signal to break, which looks remarkably like the bird. But we'll have plenty of time to continue this conversation When we're back in studio, Jeff Hunt, the uh, future, along with Billy, of this 6 to 10 a.m. slot. George Brockler on the last day of the George Show at 710 KNUS. It did? Who was it? No, I, well, listen, I never listen until you come on, Billy, and say we need to start doing the show again. Oh, that hurts. Well, listen, George Brocker back with your 710 KNUS. Now, look, Jeff Hunt, who's in the studio and taking over the show for me, he, what are you doing? Am I even talking? I can't even hear me. 
Jeff Hunt and I getting married. Married later this week. Oh, is that part on? (laughs) So sorry. Listen, we only have one second. (laughs) That's how we left it. (laughs) Hang on, you guys can come back for a minute. Here, here, here. Come on, bring back on. Think you're on for a minute? No. Oh, maybe not. I'm going to change it. Yeah. Are we are on? This, this is great for Monday. <laughs> By the way, there's nothing more fitting than having your last day on the radio as a host of the 6 to 10 a.m. slot go this direction. This yeah. is just perfect for it. I can't wait to see what we do in the next couple hours. Yeah. Listen, I still have Jeff Hunt in here. Jeff, say something like, we're not actually getting married. No, we're not. No, we're not going to get married. <laughs> it's just an engagement. Not this way. Yeah, yeah. well, we're just, it's a gotta, civil union more than anything. Yeah. But we're going to be back. We have a whole nother hour we can with, screw up. with Jeff from the <laughs> Jeff and Bill show, which will premiere here in this slot on Monday, 6 to 10 a.m. And it will be on forever and ever. Stick around and hear what Jeff reveals next. George Brockler, 710 KNUS. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.